The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome everyone to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. I'm Darren Karp and as always, I am here with Liz Cully. Liz, are you hungover today or are we good? Because last oh my I God, spoke, Darren, stop I'm it. calling you out. Sorry, you look pretty. Does I am help? not hungover great. because it's a weekday. Okay, but you not look- Not that that really okay. matters. But um, yeah, no, I am not hungover. I am okay. I am alive and well. I am well hydrated. So thank oh. you. Well, you look gorgeous. We thank have a, a guest on right now that I think we have a, like a lot of questions for because she's fairly successful considering the fact that her book is dropping two day people. Yeah, we don't have the air horn, but we should. But I've never written a book. I know Liz doesn't even like books. So this is pretty major. <laughs> Fucking Darren, shut up. I swear to God. What am I going to do it. with you? Making <laughs> it seem it. like I'm illiterate, which I Well, am. no, it's only because you got into that controversy on Taylor Strecker's show, which sure, was sure, sure. Choice, no, I know. choice. But anyway, Sophie Santos is now a New York-based comedian, writer, and host of The Lesbian Agenda, which we have one here on this show. A critically acclaimed satirical comedy show featuring up-and-coming LGBTQ plus stand-ups and performers such as Sydney Washington from Comedy Central, Jessica Henderson from Shrill. Love that show. You can also hear Sophie in the new Audible original hit job alongside Pete Davidson and Kiki Palmer. Casual. And this summer is Emily in Hot White Heist, directed by Alan Cumming. Also casual flex. She has written for shows on Bravo. I know that network well. And MTV appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live and performed at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and the Kennedy Center, her memoir, The One You Want to Marry and Other Identities I've Had, publishes today. It is released. Sophie Santos, welcome to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. Wow, that intro. Some of those <laughs> things I was like, oh, wow, I co- had forgotten. So th- thank you for, for the for the reminder. Um, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I also do feel like maybe I should go, though, if you don't like books. Liz, yeah. I don't know. Oh <laughs> work out First today. of all, Here, I explain like books. We'll explain. I'll, I'll, she likes books. I'll lightly explain. I had a yes. but I'm not just a book girl. Okay, I'm not just a book girl. So and no, she we know. Basically, we know. I had this we like know. psycho listener yes. on another show accuse me of not liking books, and it was so ridiculous. And actually, I mean, I can. They were like Liz around. Burns. Look books. at all the and books. I was like, what? There's lots of books here in this household. We like books. And it just became this kind of ridiculous joke where right. the other I just supportive troll listeners realize how ridiculous it is. Also, no easy feat to not only write a book, but to be so vulnerable as to write about your life, Sophie Santos. What yeah, was that Jesus. like? Sophie Santos and vulnerability normally doesn't go hand in hand. So that's a. Uh, you are uh, a comedian. They don't tend to uh, go well. You use comedy to deflect. Yes, yes. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you sound like my editor. My editor was like, when I, when I, when I got like the book deal and I was about to like dive in, like right before I did, my editor goes, so now, you know, you're writing a book, right? She goes, yeah, but you know, like, I just like want you to understand like what that means. And I was like, yep, I'm writing words on a page. Yep. I get it. You know, we want it to be funny. And she was like, right. So we want it to be funny, but we also need you to go there. And I was like, oh, oh, so mm. that's what you mean. So you well, you had to-, to have written something to get the book deal. Like you had to have written some sort joke. of- Yeah, I know. 
know, but like a little bit of we they had to have seen what was they had an excerpt. Yeah, yes. right. Yeah, so they did see what was coming, but actually how the book came to be was like such a crazy, almost like Cinderella story, which, you know, I've been in the industry for a hot minute. This shit never happens to me. I just have to really put this as a disclaimer. But I was doing a I can't even call it a comedy show because it wasn't a comedy show. It was called Poetry Slash Cabaret. And oh. I was just on oh. the lineup. <laughs> listen shout out to the host what a what an amazing what a, what a sweet sweet man but I was very confused <laughs> when I got this email because I was like I do comedy and he was like no I know I want to have comedians on too so I was like okay great and so whatever it ended up like the show came around it was like the coldest day in New York yeah I'm like I'm hating my life so yeah. I go and I do the damn thing and I ended up having a really good time. And afterwards, um, one of the people on the lineup was a poet and they went up before me. And so I was like, hey, I like really liked your stuff. And she was like, yeah, I really liked your stuff too. Um, let me know if you want to write a book someday. And she handed me her business card and I was like, okay. I mean, I didn't say that in my brain. I said it. I just was like, yeah, of course. Absolutely. You know, like you brushed it off. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, just like, you- I was like, yeah, absolutely, you know, and uh, I looked at the card and it was legit and it was with Amazon Publishing and the person who had persuaded me was like, well, aren't you glad you didn't cancel, huh? And I was like, yeah, all right, all right, everyone can hold their horses because nothing's actually happened. And I just sent her an email and we had lunch and then it kind of just went from there. But I will say there was like a sort there was a proposal, like, you know, I ended up still having to do like the book proposal thing. I did send in excerpts you know, it had to go up like the ladder and there was like six steps, but. That's how it happens though. Like the best or like the chance encounters of just like, you almost don't even think twice or it's something you think that you don't want or you never knew that you want until the timing is right. So I kind of love that. Now we have the synopsis of the book and, you know, I could make you do it, but I think, you know, the title kind of really describes it all, but essentially, and let me know if I get any part of this wrong, because I'm going to kind of try and paraphrase here. You know, you were sort of grew up this army brat, if that's kind of the right word, you know, transferring yeah. all from schools, you're a Filipino Spanish kind of background. So you kind of, as you said, you grew up in 99.6% white communities, which seems pretty white, uh, if I know math, and that seems pretty white. Um <laughs> And you're kind of having to transform to kind of fit in, you know, you're, you're not white. And so kind of fitting in all different types of, from being a sorority girl in the South to kind of being this misfit tomboy. I certainly am a misfit tomboy. And, you know, you kind of realizing in your twenties of who you really wanted to be by watching, you know, lesbian YouTube clips, which makes perfect sense in your bedroom. And you kind of set off this journey to your lesbian puberty, as you call it, uh, into your New York comedy career. Is that an accurate portrayal of what the synopsis is? Did I miss anything pertinent? No, what the fuck was that? (laughs) No, that was it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, I mean, it was basically, so the title of the book is The One You Want to Marry and Other Identities I've Had. And it was me going through these really drastic phases. And I split the book into three phases. And the first being like my early childhood, where I was like this misfit tomboy, played tackle football, And then when I went through puberty, I became just like super girly. I think obviously heavily influenced by the culture. Um, At this point, we're in Alabama. We're in like the deep South. Wow. 
That's deep. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. when you say 99.6% white, I'm like, mm, Alabama. Yeah, okay, Alabama okay. feels <laughs> like it would be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Let me ask you this, though. When did you start to maybe come to terms with your, is lesbian the right word? I mean, would you describe, you would describe yourself yeah. as a lesbian? Is, okay. Yeah. Some people are, you know, don't like that word. They say gay. So, I, I know you do lesbian agenda, but whatever. When did you start to realize maybe that you were that or not straight, rather? I didn't realize until I was in my early 20s. But, like, so obsessed with, like, two girls in high school. Like, one was my sophomore year and was just, like, she was the musical theater star and all mm, I wanted to do was Also spin not gay at all. I know. Like, Sophie, like, what? Like... <laughs> I know. I had a crush on a musical theater girl when I was in high school, even though I dated a guy. And I kind of knew, like, I didn't know exactly what it was, but I always thought, like, in the back of my mind, I was like, if we're at a party and this girl kisses me, I'm going to like it a little bit too much. Was there any part of you that you just were like, oh my God, I just love her as a friend. There was no, like, sexual, like, anything for you? Well, with her, it was just, like, a lot of jealousy. Because, like, Mm. she, I was actually, had a crush on the, musical theater star boy the oh. boy star who is also gay <laughs> and, really that's so uh, weird and, and, and I, so strange uh, <laughs> boys in musical theater are gay that's yes. i've never heard that before and he would like wear like the rent scarf like and the loafers i mean it was it was a tragedy and so when they started the dating I got like really I was like mean and I was like you know being passive with her and because I wanted to date him but really deep, deep down in my psyche, I wanted to date her. So that blew up in my face. But then my junior year, again, I still didn't pick up the clues or the clues, the cues, the anything, but my best friend, my now new best friend, Emma, we were dared to kiss. Mm, Love a dare kiss. We were dared to kiss by... The guy. Her oh, 23-year-old boyfriend. boyfriend. Uh, oh, she dated much older. That's... Yeah, we're fully 16. So when he did this, were you like trying to be cool about being grossed out or were you super psyched? It was more the first, but I was also yeah. a little like, uh, it was happening so fast that I kind of was like, oh, whoa, this is new. Sure, you know, but deep down was like excited. And then the moment we kissed, I was like, felt like my intestines were on the floor Mm. and I was like in euphoria. And I remember that night going back to our respective rooms. So I went back with the best friend, of course, because it was like a double date and I got the best friend who's like, of course, not attractive. And it makes me think, do you think I look like, am I, are we like a match? Like, what does this mean? (laughs) And then, but I'm thinking about all I can think about. And I like, I'm like, I'm not having sex with, I told him, I said, we're not having sex tonight. And he was like, okay, fine. And like rolled over. The the entire time you were thinking about Emma, obviously. I was just thinking about like what she was doing, like next door, like her, is she having sex? Like, what does her face look like? You were in love with Emma. You were like thinking about her face in the sheets with her like boyfriend. You are in your early twenties. Did you have like a kaboom? I'm probably not straight moment or was it like all right like, fine. Girl like kiss I, you yeah, yeah or like, like what happened 
okay, brought so you out. I was at Alabama, the University of Alabama. Right. Roll Tide. Seems very gay friendly. Um, oh, no. Super gay friendly. But um, yeah, so I was at Alabama and I was in a sorority. Oh. But the whole thing was like, they were like the top sorority on campus. Like they were, they were like had top grades for That's 20 a big years. Deal. Yeah, and they only picked girls from like Birmingham and Huntsville. So the fact that I slid in there, it's like, and the fact that I slid in there as a person of color, which there's so many questions that I have, but um, to speed that up, I was there and I was like, really like, I was really trying to commit to being a sorority girl. And um, the nickname of the sorority was the one, the ones you want to marry. That was like what they, that's what the frats called us on campus. Wow. That makes sense. So and yeah, every, that's the name of the book. I get it. Yeah. It. And every girl was like, just drop dead gorgeous. Like, I only bring all this up is because like, it's still not clicking. Nothing's right. clicking. Right. The shortest way I can say it is there was a very bad tornado that ripped through the campus and it killed like a bunch of people in the town oh, no. of Tuscaloosa. It killed a bunch of students. It was like, it was horrendous. And so like school was canceled. I mean, it was like, a, it was a true disaster. And I talk a lot in my book about mental health and like, I had like undiagnosed anxiety. So when that happened, my anxiety was born. Right. Yeah. And I had like, essentially like a full breakdown. I started having panic oh. attacks. I didn't know oh. why I was having panic attacks. And I was like, so scared to like, step outside of the house because I thought like a plane would fall out of the sky. I thought like, you know, thinking that some sort of terrorist attack would happen. Like it was like worst case scenario all the time. And I was like having like major PTSD um, and was like agoraphobic essentially. I ended up having to go to an outpatient facility and I'm like in therapy for eight hours a day for two weeks. Um, I'm not like, I can't even drive. I'm too scared to drive. So a van would pick me up and that really started to set things in motion for me. And I only, I have to bring that up because like, that's when I started to be like, okay, what is it that I want? Do I want to be chasing all these fraternity bro brothers and trying to like do the sorority thing? Cause I knew deep down, like I'm that misfit. I was that tomboy misfit. And I knew deep down that wasn't working. And like, the thing was, is, the reason why they called her sorority the ones you want to marry was because most of the girls were if not all i can i can firmly say we're trying to get married by the time they were 22 yeah like by graduation right 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 terrifying and me terrifying. being like a competitive little bitch i'm like well i gotta get in there too so I'm like trying so desperately hard to like make connections with all these guys it's not working and i'm like me i'm like I'm sleeping with a lot of guys and like, it's not working. And I'm like, no, something's off. Right. So that plus the tornado plus the anxiety, it all just kind of just like, you know, came to a head. And then I'm teaching commercial marketing and advertising. Never studied it. Cool. I, I love when unqualified people teach commercial advertising and marketing. Yeah. 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 So just think about your childhood, all these, all these kids who are teaching you curriculums. Yeah. Didn't even major in them. No, it was, uh, so I'm like at this program, you know, there was this person 
who was queer AF. And I remember seeing them and uh, another camp counselor um, and just like in my gut feeling crazy and amplified. And I guess now that I'm on medication, I have a clearer head. I have a little bit better sense of self and I'm like fully crushing and I don't know what to do. And I'm Mm. also supposed to show up at 8 a.m. and teach these kids every single day. You know, they had a crush on me and I, and I secretly knew that, but I didn't want to admit it because if they had a crush on me, then it meant that I was gay. And I kept telling myself that I wasn't gay. And I kept telling them I wasn't gay. I'd be like, I know that we're like talking like- Yeah, you just want to deny it because you don't, you're like too scared to like admit that it's the truth at that point in your life. Yeah. And I also like had just decided not to go back to Alabama, I but I had just stopped being a sorority girl. Um, I had just had this mental breakdown. So now, and now I might be gay. Like, no, thank you. There's too many things that just happened in my life. Right. And we're just kind of like circling each other, like a cat and mouse game. And then um, this thing called intercession happened. So intercession is just like in between sessions. That's all it is. But for the ca- counselors, it was like the time that we all got like really fucked up and everyone fucked. And so... Oh it was like our one night that we finally all had off together and we're we keep you know eyeing each other across the room at this party and i finally have enough like absolute vodka and crystal light and go up to them and i'm like let's get out of here and i grab them by the hand and we walk outside and the next thing I remember, because we're like wasted, Right. I'm, I like come to and I'm fully going down on them in a gravel parking lot. Okay. That was not my experience as a camper. Wow. Um, <laughs> but I wish that it was. Well, but I wasn't so a camper. Happy. I was a camp counselor. So, I know. I so know. The, but the I- counselors had different experiences. Yes, the counselors definitely did. My brother was also a counselor there. Um, well, I mean, it really, your book really should have been called I Come to Going Down on a Girl in a Parking Lot. But that's the, maybe that's the second memoir for you, Sophie. That is, that is, that is a good tidbit to get people to buy your fucking fantastic book. We want signed copies, obviously, since now I know, now I know where it all went down, Sophie. I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. And before we let you go, before we find out, you know, where you can, where people can find your book, what's one quick thing you learned from writing your book? Something that was actually really cool that I learned was um, there was some moments that I didn't want to have to talk about. Right. Um, and there was some time I, I went through a really shitty period. Like after I like realized I was gay, I kind of became like a fuck boy and like tried to be a fuck boy. That's the thing that was like, even worse where I'm just like putting on this persona and I, you know, I hurt, I hurt people and I really didn't want to talk about it. And throughout the like two year process, it just kind of kept, I could, I could feel it like in the back of my brain that I needed to do it. And I needed to say something about it. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. And I just like titled it. This is the shit I didn't want to write. And I just like went on like a tangent and it's now my probably one of my favorite chapters in the book. You can't just make it. 
all jokes and stupid shit, you know, you really got to go there, which brings us back to vulnerability, which is what we started. It does. I'm, I'm stoked to read this. I feel like I can't wait. A lot of, a lot of similarities in it. Uh, It's called the one you want to marry and other identities I've had. Sophie's memoir comes out today. Get it wherever you get books. And then where can people follow you? Go watch your comedy, do all that stuff. Sophie. Um, well, they can follow me at Sophie E. Santos on Instagram. Tonight is actually um, the big book launch. It's the big book release party um, over at Union Hall at seven o'clock. So oh, I knew that. I Darren, if you want to come, feel free. Also, anyone who is in the New York area, please come. It's going to be so much fun. Um, and there's going to be free booze and food like the whole time. Oh, so that, all right. Well, be, now I'm there. I Darren, will be there. The Darren will be there. <laughs> um, and then for our LA folks, October 5th, we're doing a big show. Um, we're doing a lesbian agenda hybrid book tour show at Dynasty Typewriter. Sophie, thank you for scissoring with us. I hope that's <laughs> oh my God, uh, the best scissoring cool of say. your life. Best scissor I've ever had. And Liz, who do we have up next? Bright light, bright light, which I'm that's so right. excited about. We've had one bright light. Now we get bright light, bright light, because Sophie was our bright light, and now we get bright light, bright light. And wow. bright light, bright You've light. You've fallen. Thank you, Sophie. Thank Another, you. Another uh, person living in New York, so it's a New York episode. But um, yeah, you'll be surprised at who bright light, bright light says is in his phone that he texts and yes. corresponds with constantly. So that's Regularly. fun. Um, and everybody go buy Sophie's book, Support a Lesbian. Buy, support a lesbian. That's right. Buy Thank book. you. Thanks so Thank much, Thank you Sophie. for coming on, Sophie. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. Liz, I took this over for you because you always seem to fuck it up every week. It's okay because it's your birthday coming up. So there's, you know, it's okay. I will allow this to happen, even though it's going to be out off kilter. Just know in the future when this episode airs, it was Liz's birthday and I did something nice for her. But welcome back to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. (laughs) You know what? It's funny because before we start this interview, which I'm very excited about, because it has to do with Instagram. So I actually need an opinion because it is my birthday. As most of you who listen on a frequent basis know that I am the little like wizard behind the curtain on the Instagram. Stalker. Right. Sure. Sure. Whatever. Yeah. Do I make a post about my birthday? Because I do it for you. Well, I was going to do it individually. So I think it's okay. Like put it on the scissors. Okay. But well, we can ask our next guess this before I intro him. But at the same time, like everyone, everyone famous, we're like 52 today. Like everyone posts their own happy birthday pics. You're fine. Okay. Just pretend it's for me. I'll give you a copy. I'll write it. But anyway, without further ado, (laughs) maybe, maybe he will have a better answer. Uh, Our next guest is known as Bright Light, Bright Light, or stage name rather, Welsh-born New York City live-in artist Rod Thomas is here. Uh, He makes pop music influenced heavily by cinema, which nods to the 80s and 90s, his formative decades, as they kind of are for Liz and I, more Liz than me because she's old, in its colorful, effervescent presentation. Are you liking this, Rod? How I, how I- Yes, how how young are you? Yeah, I'm I'm 33. I'm really not that young. Oh, as if we're older than you, please. I just like, it's not you, Rod. I just like making Liz feel old because it's her birthday and it's very important. But a few more fun facts. Choreography is most recent album features guest vocals by 
few people you might know, Liz. Have you ever heard of Sir Elton John at all? Have you ever heard of this oh, guy? Oh, yeah, I think so. Doesn't he have a little little track called Yellow Brick Road? Like, is He's got a like a podcast or something. I don't oh, know. Very okay. small. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. up and coming. He's very, very up and coming artist. One to watch. <laughs> yes. uh, as And speaking of coming, Alan coming as well. Mm-hmm. So mm. those are sisters. Jake Shears. He knows Jake Shears, mm. who, I, who knows Andy very well. And you're an ambassador mm. for local giving, which I'm going to ask you about. Uh, frequent fundraiser for the LGBTQIA plus and humanitarian charities just an all-around good fucking dude welcome mm-hmm. rod thomas bright light bright light to scissoring isn't a thing thank you thanks for having me i have a first question for you oh wow all right straight off the bat how often do people call you rob thomas by mistake yeah um, gotta happen well uh the, so this is wild right the reason <laughs> i used to go by my name just rod thomas making music which was like a bit more people called it folk, but it was just guitar pop music. Right. And then it was just always Rob Thomas, Rob Thomas, Rob Thomas. And I was like, fine. Okay. I'll, I'll change. I'll judge it up a bit. I'll go electronic and I'll think of a stage name. So I was like, Oh, bright light, bright light. Great. A few months later, Rob Thomas released a song called bright lights. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is happening? And this man obviously has no idea who I am, but it was like, what the fuck? How does that's, that happen? He's that's also so universe. annoying. <laughs> like, is, is he? Well, have you ever listened to any of those? Do you like remember? Matchbox 20. Matchbox like, 20. Oh, oh my God. Like, what a time. I thought you meant he time. was like, as an annoying person. Don't oh, know a single thing. I just thing. think of like smooth. Yeah, smooth is, is really um not one of my favorite songs, I will say. But I'm sure he's a pleasant. As a, he's yeah. a pleasant man, I'm sure. Okay, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, not as present as Rod Thomas, but I'm sure Rob Thomas is is great. Before we get into some basic questions, though, because this was one of them and you touched upon it, how mm-hmm. did you come up with the name Bright Light, Bright Light? Well, so, like, I'd been my whole life trying to make dance music and pop music because, like, that's what I loved listening to as a kid. It really, like, takes me to my, like, fabulous place. And... It took me a long time to learn how to produce it because, like, I come from a coal mining valley. We didn't have studios at our disposal and I didn't have money for, like, equipment and stuff. But after I worked out how to produce a bit better, I was like, okay, I'm going to make pop music. I'm going to make dance music. And the first name, last name identity just felt a bit too folk-leaning. So I was like, Mm. let's get a stage name. And the first thing that came into my head was Bright Light, Bright Light, which is a quote from Gremlins, which is one of my favorite movies. And I was like, that's really shit. I have to think of something better. (laughs) And I spent about a month trying to think every day of like whatever name you could have, puns, references, whatever. And none of them worked. And I thought, well, fine, I'll just go with my knee-jerk reaction. And it it just kind of stuck. So... Hey there man, Gremlins reference. I mean, that's like the most heterosexual thing I think I could ever th- like. Who like like Gremlins is like I don't it was know. terrifying. Like honestly, yeah, it's like terrifying. <laughs> I didn't even get through as a kid. I don't even want to say I got through like ten minutes of that film. I've wow. never been able to do it. And wow. I just like wow. which one? It's so terrifying to me. But have you ever seen a baby dressed up as a gremlin for Halloween? Mm. No, but I aspire to. I think everyone listening should just Google 
baby gremlin costume because wow. I saw it one time and it was the cutest thing I've ever seen. That's anyway, amazing. And to be fair, I've always wanted a Brussels Griffin dog because they oh, look like gremlins. They mm-hmm. do. I feel like, you know, it's all, we're all in the same playing field here. We got this. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you might've just answered it with gremlin, but I'm not quite sure. We do ask all of our guests if they don't mind letting us know their preferred pronouns and identifiers. Oh, Would you mind- him. I'm I yeah he him pronouns yeah and then what about sexuality uh gay I identify as a gay male which is not a shocking that you know I make pop music and I'm a gay male what a what a surprise what a novel concept there yeah uh do you if someone called you queer would you be cool with that or do you not identify with that word at all I'm just yeah I mean it doesn't bother me at all I guess like I fit into like the queer music scene Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call myself queer but I guess like for, for a lot of people, queer is a very specific thing and they identify as that as like more than just a kind of umbrella term. For me personally, I'm happy to be included in like the queer music scene because I am part of the canon. But um, for a lot of people, it's much more personal. So I wouldn't use it myself, but I definitely wouldn't be offended if somebody called me that. I'm wondering about, I wanted to kind of go back to your origin story because you grew up in Wales. Mm-hmm. Yes. How old were you when you kind of left UK, Europe, and came to the United States at all? So I moved to New York in 2013, okay. um, which is just over eight years ago now. What's crazy is I lived in London for nine years, and I've nearly lived in New York as long as I lived in London. Like where I'm from, you know, people don't tend to move that far abroad or that far away. And for me, like the idea of getting a permit to work and live in another country was not something that I ever thought that I'd get. But when you do shows abroad, you get like this thing called an O1 visa, which is an alien of extraordinary ability. So underlining alien, just reminding me. That should have been your stage name, alien I know. (laughs) But when I got that, I was like, oh, wow, I can actually go there and stay there for a while. And initially I was just going to do like three months here and then three months back in London and see how it goes. And I moved to New York and in two days. I was like, oh, well, this is home, honestly. And just really fought super 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 hard for the last eight years to be able to stay wow well we hope you stay forever uh we we want we want to claim you but i'm curious in growing up in wales what's the queer consensus out there i mean the lgbtq plus yeah like how gay is Wales? yeah like can you come out there give us kind of a full picture here so let's say now things are very different and you know there's a lot of visibility for LGBTQ plus people in Wales, especially in the cities, there has been a tremendous amount of progress. I have lots of friends that live in Cardiff, which is the capital city of Wales. And they're telling me about like in schools, they have LGBTQ plus education. They have like trans kids in, in elementary school that have come out, which is wild, given the fact that when I was growing up in Wales and like, you know, I was born in 1982. So the 80s and the 90s were very intolerant with like AIDS and then post AIDS and just the government being a complete sack of shit. It was difficult because it's the same as growing up in small town America, where the further you move away from the coast, the further you move away from the big cities, the smaller the minds get. And it's just like inbuilt homophobia. It's not even active homophobia. It's just like what is accepted and what is not. And ideas hadn't been challenged for a long time. So I remember hearing you know, the homophobic murmurs all around me growing up. But I did manage to find in my hometown, 
I grew up in the middle of nowhere, but the nearest town had like a drama club that I joined in summertime, like when I was like 14 or 15 and met these amazing people. And none of us were out or talked about it, but one came out and then the other kind of, uh, you know, enabled the others to come out. And we had this wonderful group of friends that truly saved my life. And then, you know, at least now things have moved on, but it was not a tolerant place. And it's crazy. The interesting thing is like, if you look at history, there were quite progressive movements. Like the film Pride is about the uprising of like gay rights activists in the Welsh coal mining valleys, which happened like a long time ago. But that momentum didn't quite move on because similar to a lot of like, ways that like Trump counties are very right wing. It's like they're forgotten about. They're not looked after by the government. They're not looked after by society. People sneer at them. People look down on them. And liberals are guilty as well of being snobby. So the knee jerk reaction for them is to reject everything progressive and to just look after their own, which I think is basically what happened in a lot of homophobic Wales, where it just feels so left to the vultures by the part of the country which got richer and they didn't, you know, so I understand why they're so reticent to change and progression, but it was difficult. And there are a lot of queer kids to use the word queer because like the umbrella term of queer, whatever spectrum they might be on there, there were a lot of lost souls in those valleys that Mm. just didn't really know what to do with themselves. Um, Luckily I made it out. So how was your family when you were coming out? Oh, my family are amazing. My family are really amazing. They're very supportive of everything that I do coming out was not good largely because I think of the lack of education they had about LGBTQ plus experience there was no reference point everything that we saw about LGBTQ plus people on TV was stereotypes crap drag queens farce butt of the joke you know it was the tropes so they thought that that's what it was going to be for me and they also recognized homophobia around so they were just worried I think that that would be my fate. And it did take a long time to talk that through and for them to thankfully educate themselves. You know, like my parents were amazing. They did undertake a lot of education themselves with my guidance and uh, (laughs) rather vocal uh, push. Um, But they're amazing people. And it was important, I think, for me and for other people to see that even liberal people who are very good souls, really good people struggle with a life and an identity that they just don't know anything about. Sure. Constant education. But at the time, people weren't told to educate. They were just told, like, this is what is right. This is what is wrong. And luckily, they were able to push through that. And so we have a great relationship. Well, and I think, you know, given that you were born in the 80s, like right in the 80s, I think what some of the young people of today tend to forget about is how scary AIDS were and Mm -hmm. how it was a death sentence. Yeah, it was a death sentence. So like the second you said you were gay, it was, and I remember when my brother came out well before I did, he came out when he was really young. And my, that was like, we had watched my cousin and his whole group of friends die of AIDS in San Francisco. And my mom was just like, well, he's going to die. I'm like, well, no, like, yeah who, whatever, do you know what I mean? Hopefully not. But I think that was also, you know, back then something that probably parents, no matter if they were liberal or not, it was this like air of fear, you know? Totally. Yeah. It was definitely like pinning like a tag, a death sentence and a stigma on something. And that being 
pushed by the government as fact. You right. know, like the American government did literally not one thing to help anybody with AIDS or at risk of AIDS. Neither did the UK government. And, and then, you know, what a surprise. They do exactly the same with COVID. And then they just call it China virus. It's like the gay virus, China virus. And you're like, what the fuck have we got history for if yep. you're not going to learn anything? But it's like the cycle, you know, so I am very grateful that I was not at the epicenter of the AIDS crisis I was too young and like that in itself is like the savior of time like I don't know what would have happened if I was of legal age and going to gay bars as they were called then LGBTQ plus spaces in the middle of the AIDS crisis it must have just been like absolutely terrifying and just crushing to watch an entire generation of your friends disappear I, I just yeah. cannot conceive that you know? Yeah, and just no cure in sight. And just like, it has to be absolutely terrifying, which is sort of why to your point, I think you were alluding to this a little bit. It's like, especially as a, as a, a gay man, it's got to be hard for parents to kind of like absorb that information, not having maybe all the education or yeah. all the touchstones that maybe other people in larger cities had. Is it just based on lack of like sort of resources in Wales or is it an overall like religious thing? What do you kind of attribute it to? It wasn't religious. It's different. Like the the whole like Jesus phenomenon in America is to this day, like watching the Twilight Zone for me. I am You're telling me. You're you telling you, me. You fit the right, yeah, you fit the right audience. Here. It's really We're like what? It's yeah. wild. And you know, yeah. Jesus Christ. Um it's very <laughs> literally it's very strange. Literally. literally, yeah. It's not that in in the UK. Like there are churches and chapels and there's obviously religion and primarily Christian, obviously, because like basically the disciples of Jesus have ruined the Western world by like colonizing everything. Not to be too general, but like really. So, <laughs> but that that's not the prominent cause of uh, prejudice. I don't think in the UK, it's just, they just didn't like gay people. I well, don't. It's, it's a traditional place. I mean, I, my yeah. father is from Very historical. New Zealand and half my family is all over the UK. And I just feel like it's a really, you know, like you don't really show your emotions. Modesty totally. is preferred. Like, do you know what I mean? It's just a modest kind of hardworking culture. And it's yeah. like, even, you know, the wealthy, I think it's like, you're supposed to, in some regard, like hide your wealth, even though you're yeah. like exorbitantly well, you know what I mean? It's just, that's mm -hmm. the, the, in my opinion, growing up, that was kind of what I, how I felt yeah. about it. it. It was very odd growing up there and seeing the differences over here because you are kind of taught to not make a fuss, which yeah. covers everything from don't talk about your emotions, don't rock the boat, don't boast, don't complain, don't really do anything that causes anybody any ounce of anxiety. So basically any kind of conversation which isn't really about the weather, you you know, is like taboo. So you, that, you know, you can't really question religion, you can't question education you can't question sexuality gender right. identity it's it was a really weird thing to grow up and be like god that's really fucked up you know don't don't cause a fuss now like it's just so weird it's so completely strange and like that silence is really what causes these like cankers in society and like people just like pent up 
emotions and rage and things that they could easily have talked out if they were allowed to, but they're not allowed to. And then they become these like explosive repressions that ruin lives for everybody across the world. Gross. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's so hard because a lot of that could, in our minds, I think the three of us, it's like, it could so easily change. Like it could just totally. so easily be different, but I also know how hard it can be to kind of reformat your thinking when you're born yeah. in a society that isn't really open to other types of cultures or sexualities or religions or races. What mm-hmm. you growing up 1982, you know, maybe uh, society wasn't really asking a lot of questions, or at least you wanted to be buttoned up. What were some like queer or LGBT or gay icons for you? Like touchstones, like was media kind of free? Could you watch a share video? Like what, what, what were yeah. you doing? Maybe there was no real censorship like that. I don't think it was funny because there were a lot of British culture is very camp. I don't know if yes. you've seen like all of our TV shows were like camp as fuck. Yeah. But yeah, it was like, we, the we take a lot of them. Yeah. We take a lot of them and then reform them for you. But especially but, in the 90s, I mean, yes. it was so campy. You're right. Yeah. But what it was really with the, the successful things were straight people being camp, Fair. but gay people being camp was not really cool. So you had the people like the Boy Georges, the Erasures, the Elton Johns, the Pet Shop Boys. Pet Shop Boys were not out, I don't think, until maybe like the 90s. Erasure were. Andy Bell was the whole time. Uh, Jimmy Somerville was. Boy George, I am not entirely sure. But really sort of Andy Bell was the, Andy Bell and Jimmy Somerville were the only like really out proud advocating vocal people. Pet Shop Boys were a bit more covert, but let the visuals talk for themselves. And then you had like super camp songs and then pop production in the UK, like the pop songs, the charts were all so camp, like the Stock Aiken, Waterman, Kylie tracks and Sonia and Sunita and all these things. But they were kind of for a gay audience, but they were not by queer people and they were not starring queer people. So it was sort of like this weird thing, like you could look at pop culture and be like, how on earth can you be homophobic? But the people in the limelight weren't the gays. So it was kind of odd. It was sort of like appropriation really is what it would be called these days if anyone had the balls to call it that. But then we had this really monumental thing. You've heard of Queer as Folk, right? Of course. The TV show. And Our I watched Queer- the original one. Yeah, the original of one of course, was yes. primetime television, which is mind-blowing. And in the first episode, there was a rimming scene yep. between like a 30-something-year-old guy and a 15-year-old and boy. Hennemann. And it was right. like what (laughs) like absolutely wild and that really changed everything and it did anger a lot of people but it did start conversations I think and it's by the same guy Russell T Davis who just did it's a sin this year that was talking about the AIDS crisis so you know things did start to open up a bit and then in the 2000s it was quite different because the scissors sisters who you can probably see above me somewhere over there they blew up in the UK. They had huge, huge hits. The first album sold like 2 million copies. Um, and they became like the biggest selling group in the UK as like an American import. And when they became famous, then it kind of made it okay to be LGBTQ plus in the mainstream again. Again, you touched on this, but appropriation in sort of that term, because you know, NME, for those Americans who might not know, New Musical Express, which is this, you know, British publication, they pinned you as the the boy Robin in all but yes. name. And Robin, 
at least to me, is a queer icon, or at least in the LGBTQ lexicon. And yet yes. I am not confident she is queer herself. I could she's be not. wrong. Right. She's not, right? But she has sort of been the symbol. How do yes. you feel about someone who isn't, but representing people who are? I'm fine as long as they vocally advocate and they vocally push for our rights. I do find it a bit disappointing that the LGBTQ plus community does not accept or doesn't amplify actually LGBTQ plus musicians in the way that it does the female straight icons. That's always been a problem. It's always going to be a problem. And people get really pissed off when you say that. And it's like, that doesn't mean I don't like Robin, Ariana Grande, Lady Gaga, who I believe Cher, is bisexual. Yeah, uh, it doesn't yeah. mean I don't like them. It doesn't mean I don't think they're amazing. It just means like the like stan level that you apply to that one person. If you did that to an LGBTQ plus artist, the world would change. I agree. You know what I mean? And I like if you more. bought their records, like if the same number of people that bought Dancing on My Own bought like a Kim Petra song or like my song or a, the new Scissor Sisters single or like Mint Simon, who's this amazing new artist, like if those amount of people channel their energy into these like up and coming people, we'd be having totally different conversations. You know, like if they gave your podcast the attention that they give, like the, the Ellen show or like whatever people talk about most in the Twitter chat, it's like it would be game changing for everybody. And I don't know what that tipping point would be. I know it's weird. Well I mean, it's total, very, very well said. I mean, it is interesting. Like we kind of don't really always take care of our own. However, it's interesting. I think even in the subsections of the LGBTQIA plus community, right? Like I think we can kind of see this trend of gay men or identifying gay men kind of idolizing the Madonnas and the Lady Gagas, mm -hmm. et cetera. And then sometimes yeah. in the lesbian community, we get like really deep on Katie Lang. Not as much anymore, mm -hmm. but you know- But you should do because she's fucking iconic. Uh, yeah, or Brandi right Carlisle. Above me. No, no, <laughs> right, a hundred. Yeah, I think Brandi Carlisle. But yeah. we do sort of sometimes, you know, take care of our own. And then I, what I'm really also loving is really seeing the queer black community really starting to rally yeah. around people like Chica, who's amazing, yeah. and Kehlani, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, which is great. So I think we're like- it's like sort of happening, but I agree with you. It's in a broad sense, we don't sort of take care of our own. And then in, in at least in Los Angeles, you know, there has always been this kind of chatter about how commercialized LA pride is in the mm. sense that it's always sort of like a, a concert, like you have to yeah, buy yeah. tickets, which is whack because family mm. should be able to go. But then the people that they have on the main stage are like typically white, straight women yes. performing. And you're like, yeah. what the fuck? Not that we shouldn't support white yeah. straight women, but it's also like, how can we, again, use our our voices to amplify others? Uh, speaking of big artists or queer artists, how did you meet Elton John? Mm. <laughs> well, can you it's, can you talk us through? Yeah, I can. Not like a, that's not like yeah, that's not like, a casual. It's not like a casual flex. Like it's no. not like. It's That's wild. The flex. That's it's the, the flex. flex. Yeah. It's <laughs> wild. So, oh, years and years and years ago, like maybe go back to 20, 2007, 2008, 
I was making my little folky pop music and I had a manager called Sarah who was also a booking agent. And then she got taken on uh, or like upfed into Elton John's management company to do booking for some of their up and coming artists. And through her, I met the team. And then every year they would have a, like a Christmas party. So at the Christmas party, I went and I met everyone, including Elton and just said hi really quickly, you know, nothing like that. But he is like the music fan of music fans and he keeps tabs on literally everybody. So he just loves giving a leg up to up and coming artists that he sees working really hard. Um, he's done that with like, you know, Lord Lizzo, ton Ed Sheeran is like his big protege that actually has success whereas I kind of didn't. Um, but like, he's always pushing new artists to the forefront. He's always talking about them, always trying to offer advice and to help. And I kind of got to know him a little bit, but then it didn't really work out with the management situation. And I, I left the management company thinking like, well, there was my chance to ever see him again, you know, whatever. And finished my first record and put it out independently. And it got this amazing review in the, the lead magazine in the UK, Q Magazine. And he phoned me and was like, oh, I just saw the review of your your album like on like, your cell oh phone? my god on my cell phone yeah because he has everyone's numbers all the artists course, that they I manage mean, how um, you gave it to him from the management company yeah he I'm asked sorry. the managers for i'm asking the... a lot of questions here because this is wild okay and then the week after when the where were out, you when you got that phone call i was in my living room were you like what the fuck was it like a unknown number and you picked it up and it's like hi this is elton john yeah. were you like for real or did you were you believed it we had previously spoken on the phone. So I did know, I knew what that, like if there was only one unknown number that I ever had, but it was always like checking in and like advice, but this was like, oh, I've done something right. You know, after like the company, not really believing the songs that I was writing, not him, but the company. Sure. And then I went, he was like, come over for lunch. So I went to his place for lunch. Um, Lulu was there, obviously wild, insane. And then I think because he'd validated the music that I'd made. I was finally able to talk to him as like a person that wasn't terrified. Sure. And I'm ridiculous. Like you can probably tell I'm just like this lunatic man. And he, I think he just thought that I was hilarious and just kept me round. And then over the course of like the next year, I was like writing demos and talking to stuff and going to shows with him and like went to a festival with him and was playing him some of the demos. And he was like, we should do a song together. And I was like, well, fuck me. Yes, of course. And I, <laughs> I sent I sent him the song, which weirdly I was at the piano and I finished writing it at my piano five minutes before he called me the first time. Um, mm. So I played him the song and he's like, yep, I love it. And so we recorded that song together. And then I went on tour with him, did 57 shows opening for him around the world. And we're still really good friends. Like we email at least once a week. He's really the the kindest person that I've ever met. I have a really fractured relationship with the UK music industry. Like there are some really shitty fucking people in that industry. And he is the person that has been the most supportive and the most kind to me. And he's like the busiest man in the world. Like, how is he the one that is like emailing when I have a release? He's the one that sees what these artists are doing. He's the one that's like, have you heard this remix on SoundCloud? I'm like, oh my God, if only people who actually had the means and the time to help new artists bothered to do that. Like, it's wild. He's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. 
He's one of the best shows I've ever seen, by the way. He's just amazing. He just announced he's going on more tours, but I haven't seen if he's coming to the U.S. Do you know? He is, yes. So he's doing the U.S. next March, I think, something like that. You Let's should go. go. You should I'm dying to go. go. I really want to go. Let's okay. go. I want to just take a moment to like realize, and I know we've only talked to you for 30 minutes, but like you're talking about coming from like a coal mining small town in Wales to literally having Elton John's number mm-hmm. and like emailing with him once a week. Like, do you ever just stop and kind of like take it all in? And for any other potentially queer, gay, non-binary, all of the spectrum of queer has to offer. Anyone that's living in another maybe similar type of situation that you grew up in, what's sort of the best advice you could give to some kid like that? My best advice would be kind of like two or threefold, I guess. Like when you're making your art, whether that's music, film, visual art, you know, fine art, whatever, make sure you're doing something that you really believe in and that really like feels like it comes from you. I think the stuff that I was doing initially, because I didn't know how to make dance music, didn't really feel like me. Like it felt a bit held back and it didn't show like the 360 view of me, which is like camp and serious and silly and really well read, which sounds like a boastful thing. But fuck it. In the UK, you're not allowed to. I know fucking tons of shit. I've spent my whole life learning about music and studied a million things. I know my fucking shit. And like, I know about dance music and I know about disco music. And I found a way to put all of that into my music, which also showed that I care about other LGBTQ plus people. Because for me, this is the twofold part. Music and art is a conversation. I feel like if you want to do something, which is like have a number one single and be a millionaire, great. Make it all about you. Do whatever you want. However, I don't have that, but I do have... Scissor Sisters, Ellie Goulding, Elton John, Cher, Erasure, John Grant, um, Hercules and Love Affair, all of these people, I have their contact details. They know who I am and they believe in me. So like I have conversations with these people. I don't go out around like telling people how amazing my work is. I'm really proud of what I do, but it means nothing if the people I respect don't think anything of it. So I use my platform for the world and the community outside of myself. I love the fact that I get to work with trans people, with non-binary people, with like gay men, lesbians, people who are allies, but are not directly part of our community and make music with them and work out how to speak to people that aren't like me. Like if I only spoke to white cis gay men, like my life would be so dull. And I think that there's so much you can do with your career. If you're like a young LGBTQ plus person, think of like what in the world you want to be part of and what you want to achieve or like strive for, like see things that are nothing like where you are right now, like dream really, really big. Somebody's been going around spraying on the pavements in New York, dream until it's your reality. That's bullshit, actually. I'm going to say, because keep dreaming. Nothing's going to fucking happen. Make it your reality. Don't dream it until it's your reality. Work at it until it's your reality. Like, you are the only person that is going to make these things happen for yourself. Like, you have to work really, really, really hard, but you have to enjoy it, which is why I say make art that's very true to yourself and shows off, like, who you are. Not what you can do, but, like, who you are, you know, I want to buy an album and I want to know who this person is that's singing, which is why I love like the Grace Joneses, the uh, Laura Mavula's, the 
the the Munas, the Donna Summers, you know, all of these people, even like Ace of Base, for God's sake, you knew exactly what they, you were getting when you you saw the songs, saw the albums and heard the songs. Like, I want to feel like there's something beyond the production and the music. And I think if you make stuff which is genuine and has that layer of you written into the tapestry of the art that you make, people will care and people will come to you. Is there an artist that you haven't yet met that you really admire that's living that you would like love to connect with? I really, really want to work with Mariah Carey like so much. Okay, Um, let's talk through that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, first of all, I love Mariah Carey. Hello, duh. Like, please. Like, what do you think that would be like? Like, do you want to do like, why you're so obsessed with me? Like that, like, Mariah Carey, like which Mariah Carey, like just give me everything. Talk me through it. I really love the last two albums that she's done. Me, I Am Mariah, The Elusive Chanteuse, which is the best album title in the world. And Caution, I think they're both super cool. They're really current and really fun and definitely didn't get the PR that they deserved. I love what she was doing with those. Like voices sound great. The songwriting is super cool. Production is great. I'd love to do something like fresh with her, but with like throwback moments. I love that she still loves disco so much. You can hear yes. like the samples that she uses, like they're so shrewd, like the imagination sample on the um, Emancipation of Mimi tracks, the disco strings on You Don't Know What To Do on Chanteuse. Like her Rolodex of musical knowledge is like so dense and so, yeah. so well curated. I would love to do something that really deep dives into like the tracks that she loves and do something really fun and fresh that just like shows how fucking funny and cool she is. Like, I really want to do something like super brilliant with her and then also do like a really like gross dance remix of it so that basically people will dance too. <laughs> yeah. Hell, I'm, I, ah. I'm already buying that song and album and I think Liz and I will be definitely first customers. Is uh, she, Mariah's a queer icon. She's a definitely a queer icon, yeah. Definitely. I mean, and she's definitely. always been an ally. Yes. Yes. For a yes. long time, right? Yeah, that's she is definitely. Yeah, she's been an ally. She's like one of the ones that does talk a lot about LGBTQ plus rights, and she, you know, she's she's been very vocal, I think, and she's been very present, and she's also one of the people I think post COVID who's been using their platforms the best in terms of social justice, social awareness. Yeah. It's been amazing to watch her, you know, really bounce back from just like the levels of ridicule that have been like thrown at her over the years um, to start talking about mental health, start talking about social justice, use her platform like really unabashedly to just like talk about things that she really thinks matter. And it's amazing to watch somebody with that much scrutiny and power just be like very candid about stuff. Like it's, it's so inspiring and there are plenty of other younger artists that do it too, but to see like a heritage person just be like, nope. And just like tweet something. <laughs> you're like, yes, Mariah. Amazing. Well, but yes, also like, empowering. and definitely knows, I don't want to say how to make fun of herself, but like, Oh, she's in on the joke. She's totally she's in on the joke. I mean, if you guys haven't watched her Instagram post of her getting her vaccine, did you see that? It's like yeah. amazing. This is amazing. It's amazing. so amazing. funny and it's so great. And yeah, she she totally gets it. I love it. I mean, okay, Mariah Carey. I'm I'm I'm. We're gonna manifest this. Or you? Yeah. No, we're not gonna manifest it. Sorry, you're gonna work and make I'm it. I'm gonna happen. work and it's gonna happen. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's exactly. We're going to we're going to manifest yeah. and work at the same time yeah. simultaneously. But also please keep dreaming, you know. I'm not saying yeah. don't dream, but also <laughs> dream but also work, you know. Um Fair. okay, we we do have to get to the game. Okay, I have some very serious questions actually that I wrote down. <laughs> okay. One, why does everybody sound American when they sing, no matter what their accent is? Do you think I do? Yeah. I think yes. I sound very Welsh actually when I sing. I don't do like I don't pronounce my R's remotely like an American person. But like Ellie like... Goulding, like Ed Sheeran, Elton John ish, actually. Yeah. Sound pretty American when they I sing. would say like... with with Elton, he grew up listening to American music. So I think like back in the day, a lot of people emulated like the rock and roll sound. So you okay. think about like him, Dusty Springfield, like people who made it really big in the States, they were like coming directly from like an American sort of roots thing. I'm not sure why modern people still do it, honestly. And I don't know why people have started doing that weird vowel thing, you know, mm-hmm. when they're Vocal like, fry like, be, be, when like, because becomes like, because or whatever. I'm yeah. like, I, oh I can't, I can't listen good. I can't yeah. listen to songs that do that. I have to turn them off. I okay. Fair. And then my my next question, you might not know the answer to this. Okay. What the hell are people saying on Love Island? And can you understand anything that anybody says on it that is television? Difficult. Show? I only sound I only understand crack on. Crack right. on. Like, oh, she fit. She's early fit. days. She's fit. Early days. Early days. Fit. We're in and early Grofton. days. And Grofton. And then that's oh, grafting. Yeah, I grafters. haven't um I haven't watched it. Yeah, I mean, it's just the UK is really wild because like the um, imagine if you shrunk the US down to the size of the UK, like that's how many different accents and dialects there are. So you go even like where I grew up 10 miles down the the road, those two towns have different like words for different things. So it's and different it's, accents. It's really That's intense. Yeah. And also, I would just like to say to you, Darren, you forgot to tell me that there are 40 episodes in one season of Love Island. And oh, it's God. on five nights. It's on five nights a week, sweetie. Seven I think I'm week, done. I, I'm 11 episodes in and I'm done. Anyway. Oh, wow. Okay. That was it. That, that Those were my yeah, really hard hitting Barbara yeah. Walters questions for you. Rod. <laughs> that, that, that was very tough. But uh, as as you as you might know, uh, Rod, we play a game uh, at the end of every episode called Scissor Me This. It's just a fun nonsense, blah, 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 blah question. Sure. Liz, tee it up. Go for it. Oh, OK. If you had to choose, would you rather be so gay or so dramatic? So dramatic. Uh, would you rather only ever work with Elton John again or David mm-hmm. Bowie? Oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> Elton John, honestly, I love David Bowie, but Elton John makes me laugh like nobody else. And I really think like the joy that I get from the joy that he gets from music is like no other person I've ever met in my life. I would work with Elton John every minute of every day. He is an absolute legend. I love him. That's amazing. Okay. That's amazing. What's your favorite Luther Vandross song? Oh, fuck. Um, maybe <laughs> Love Power, Power of Love. I really love that song. I do absolutely, oh my God, to the end of my days, love um, the best things in life for free that he does with Janet Jackson. And one. I do not understand how that wasn't a number one single every, every country in the world. 
What the fuck is wrong with everybody who didn't buy that? It's <laughs> I don't know either. Right. I will tell you that my song with my wife, like our song is never too much. Oh, it's oh. so it's perfect, isn't it? It's a perfect song. It was. It was really fun. It, I just it's our yeah, that's our song. Name one thing the UK does better than the United States. Healthcare. Okay. Oh, there you go. He could have answered anything. He could have said like sandwiches. You never know. Anyone has their own opinion (laughs) on what it is. You know, basic human rights. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. No, definitely not basic human rights at the moment, but healthcare. Yeah, healthcare, yeah. Fair, fair. Halsey or Demi Lovato? Demi Lovato. So quick. Why? Very quick. Immediate response. Yeah, Yeah, that was quick. Yeah, it was very quick. I actually have quite a lot of love for Demi Lovato. I think her type on Cool for the Summer is one of my favorite pop moments in the last 10 years. I think she's, I think they are awesome. Last question for me. Give me one female dead artist, one male dead artist that you would love to have worked with if you could. <sighs> female? Mm-hmm. No, male George Michael. Duh. Um, duh. Uh, female. Um, I'm going to say because she died yesterday, Raffaella Cara, um, who is this incredible uh, Italian performer who is just wild. I mean, watching her old clips is really fantastic. Like the artistry is amazing. They did like when she had like TV specials, there were like amazing sets. Like there's a version she does of Night or Night and Day, you know, that old like uh, standard where it's like space and they're like in space and they're on like a weird alien planet and in a space shuttle. It's amazing. Like it's as bonkers as like some of the old Cher and Bette Midler stage shows that used to just be, you know, budget heavy, but chintzy, but like really fun, really camp. And her voice was amazing. I'm, I'm going to say her because she's like gone, gone too soon. RIP and what a great way to end this. Was I agree. Just, I want to be best friends with you. I, I well, you can be come back to New York and I'll take you for a drink. I would absolutely love that. Rod, by the way, do you get told you look like any celebrities, especially with the stash? Uh, I am going to deduce that you are going to tell me I look like somebody from this leading statement. It, it, it like is in my mind, but you're also kind of like minimized on my Zoom, so I could see it, right. and I don't know if it's going to be accurate. But I was just curious if anyone ever told you that you look like somebody in particular. I've had a few things. Like, I mean, somebody told me at a festival once I looked like Brandon Flowers, which I thought was quite random. That's very random. Okay, yeah, it was very odd. random. I was thinking like a touch, like Jason Sudeikis. Just a touch. Oh, yeah. Do you know oh, what I mean? Do you know what's weird? It's, lots of people have said that recently. I don't really know who he oh. is. Okay. He's, he's, the, he's Ted Lasso on Apple TV+. Plus. And he was he on was, SNL. Yeah, he was he Olivia was... Wilde's partner, but Olivia Wilde is now with Harry Styles. Harry Styles. So. Wow. That is wild. It's a compliment either way. He's very cute. So it's not. Oh, good. I'm glad he's not some, like, I also allegedly crashed his birthday party by mistake and it was mortifying. And that is a story for another time where I lied to the security and said my name was on the list and thought I was walking upstairs into a massive party. And guess what? It was 10 people. Wow. And it was really fucking awkward. So if you're uh, I'm going to tell you something that will make you feel less awkward. Okay, Two people I know, um, this is a difference between the UK and the US. Uh, a fancy dress party in the US is uh, black tie, correct? Right. You, yes, uh, I would say. In the UK, a fancy dress party is costume party. So 
people I know went to a fancy dress party uh, in the America dressed as a can of beans and a hot dog <laughs> and walked in and everybody else was in very, very, for- very formal attire. And they were just like, fuck, <laughs> like walking through the party as like a giant can of beans, like, hi. Oh my God. Like literally yeah. you'd rather be in like, like sweatsuits. You know what I mean? Like jeans yeah. and a t-shirt underdress. These people are. Yeah. <laughs> like- no, actually can I disagree. What's very Bridget Jones diary, yes, by the way. Very, very Bridget oh, Jones. But crazy. I would actually rather be a can of beans at a black tie party yeah. than in sweats because then it's, it's a story. So out of control yeah. that it actually sort of works in this strange yeah. way. Yeah, then you're like the can of beans girl and you're like, yeah. <laughs> then you are an icon. Then you are an LGBTQ plus icon. You know what? You guys changed my mind about this. This is actually yes. how I'm going to go to my wedding. I'm sure dressed as a can Please of beans. Please do. But, yeah. Oh my God. If you don't, I am. Even if I'm not invited, I'm just going to rock up and like, just be the can of beans. That gets you an invite. Rolling down I'll the drop aisle. you a pin. I'll yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Rod, before we let you go, where can people find you, listen to your music, follow you, give us the stuff? Uh, so if you want to follow me on socials, it is at BrightLightX2 on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, all the kind of usual things. Um, I also run a little collective record label called Yas Queen, which is Y-S-K-W-N. So if you look that up, I um, do playlists for Spotify and stuff, which is uplifting up and coming uh, LGBTQ plus creators and YSKWN.com. Um, I have lists there of like LGBTQ plus charities across the world where you can go for help and support or donate and connecting uh, queer creators with each other as well. So God, feel free to good. drop a line on any of those platforms. I love this man. That's it. Well, um, apparently we do nothing for anyone but ourselves, <laughs> but you can follow me at Listen to Liz, Darren at Carpe Darren, and Scissoring Isn't a Thing, which is a fun little follow, and that's S-I-A-T podcast. Yes. Rod Thomas, not to be confused with Rob Thomas, thank you so much for finally joining us on- Thank you for having me. It's you been are really the best. fun. You are the best. <laughs> Thanks, Rod. And hopefully I'll see you in real life very soon. I hope so. I hope so. Scissoring Isn't a Thing is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SIAT Podcast. See you next Tuesday. 